Hello, and welcome to episode 156 of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy Bement, your host, welcoming you to another uh, episode of Panel to Panel. Thank you for downloading this episode. I really appreciate it. Um, like I always have said, this is my labor of love. This is one of my hobbies, um, and I enjoy bringing this podcast to you every couple weeks. In this episode, we are going to do like we always do. We start out by taking a look at the news and see what's new in the world of Doctor Who comics. And then we are going to go open the Pandorica on the latest current Doctor Who comic strip, which is Liberation of the Daleks Part 6, which you can find in Doctor Who magazine issue number 589. Uh, This is a part of the story where quite a bit happens, so uh, bear with me as I try to sort it all out in this review. And then we are going to kind of take a sidestep in the world of Doctor Who comics, and I'm going to chat with a longtime friend of mine. His name is Lars Pearson, and he is the head of Mad Norwegian Publishing, or Mad Norwegian Press, out of Des Moines, Iowa, which is where I used to live. I had the chance to go back to Des Moines to visit family and friends, including Lars, and we sat down to chat with, uh, chat with Lars about the Faction Paradox and the two issues of the Faction Paradox comic book that came out 20 years ago, believe it or not, if you uh, bought them way back in the day. Uh, the Faction Paradox is kind of a spin-off of the worlds of Doctor Who, and Lars and I will talk about that, how this comic came into being, and all sorts of other good things related to comics and uh, Doctor Who, and I hope you enjoy this interview as we uh, go into the, the spin-off worlds of Doctor Who, something that kind of predated a lot of other Doctor Who spinoffs. It predates uh, Cutaway Comics and Vort Vort Magazine. And uh, I think it was fun to take a look at something that happened a long time ago, back before the era of Kickstarter and Indiegogo and all this uh, crowd uh, fundraising stuff. So that is this uh, episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. I hope this episode finds you well. And let's start out like we always do by jumping into the news. In Doctor Who comic news for this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel, I guess the biggest news that came out was uh, about two weeks ago, the BBC announced that there is going to be a new multi-platform story coming out called Doomsday. This is about a girl called Doom who is apparently an assassin of some sort, and it is going to be a 24-hour story broken up into various different segments that is going to be told across various different platforms, including uh, books, audios, uh, interactive stuff on the internet, apparently, um, various uh, records or uh, vinyl, uh, lots of different things. But one of the items that is included in this is Titan Comics was mentioned as being someone or a company that's participating in this uh, multi-platform story. So although there's no word officially from Titan Comics as yet, it looks like Titan Comics is going to put out a mini-series of Doomsday uh, to tie into this multi-platform story. Um, looking at how fandom is reacting to this uh, this news, it's kind of a mixed bag. Some people enjoyed the previous multi-platform story. Uh, others are kind of thinking it's hard to follow when you have to buy all these different stories and different parts to make up this whole story. Me personally, um, last time they did this, I partook in some of the Big Finish audios and uh, the comics, of course. 
This time around, I think I'll probably just do the comics, and we'll definitely review them here, or at least part of them. Um, but we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm not overly enthused. It's kind of mildly interesting to me, but it is new comic news, and I'm always up for new Doctor Who comics or Doctor Who-related comics. So we will see how this goes. Outside of that, about the only other Doctor Who comic news I dis- discovered is that uh, Christopher Jones artist on the Doctor Who special that is coming out in October from uh, Titan Comics with writing by Dan Slott and uh, other artists are involved on this. Uh, Christopher Jones published or posted a picture of the his alternate cover for this comic. Um, Adam Hughes is the main cover and his is going to be one of the incentive covers. And uh, it's a wonderful piece of art. If you look up Christopher Jones on Facebook, you can see this cover for yourself and... Uh, Way to go, Chris. It looks awesome. So, I guess that is it for the news. It's been rather quiet uh, over the past few months as far as Doctor Who comic news, and it continues to be that way. So, let's end the news segment and head on over into the review. It's time to open the Pandorica on the new issue of uh, Doctor Who magazine. Doctor Who magazine number 589. And this is Liberation of the Daleks Part 6. This continues on where we last left off with a story by Alan Barnes, art by Lee Sullivan, coloring by James O'Freddy, editing by Marcus Hearn, lettering by Roger Langridge, and the Daleks, of course, were created by Terry Nation. What we find out in this uh, part of the story, this is kind of where everything goes topsy-turvy. I think I figured it out, but I could totally be off here on this. So correct me if I'm wrong or try to follow along. Um, we find out at the beginning of the strip that the the Dalek uh, or Georgette and the, the, the military have captured 12 Daleks. And they're using each one of the Daleks to create a psychic world where people can go into and uh, live their favorite and wonderful Dalek fantasies in this Dalek theme park. The Doctor is not too happy about this, of course, and says that all these Daleks should have been destroyed because they're ultimate killing machines. Um, And now one of the Daleks is realizing that he's been captured and he's trying to escape. Uh, The military Georgette says that they need to shut things down and to vent the psychoplasm. Well, we find out that the Daleks that the doctor had uh, talked to and told that they were all the same finally realized that, yes, they are all the same because they are in the psychic world. Um, The Dalek Supreme says, I need to escape because I am not like the rest of you. I am the Dalek Supreme. But instead of going for a regular escape capsule, he says he needs to find a way into the TARDIS and use that to escape this this, uh, psychic world. The doctor then realizes that his TARDIS is inside one of these psychic worlds, and he's hoping it's not going to be wiped out. However, uh, it, the TARDIS senses that it is uh, going to be wiped out, I guess. And so it dematerializes and pops up in the real world. And, of course, this is the, the TARDIS that had uh, the real, or the psychic Georgette in. So the doctor goes to find the TARDIS, and the TARDIS opens up. He's being followed by the military Georgette. And when the TARDIS opens, out comes the psychic Georgette, along with a surprise second guest. And you can probably guess who that is. And um, that ends this part of the story. 
this story, this is where everything gets a little timey-wimey, topsy-turvy, for lack of a better term. And uh, this is, I think, where we're at the, kind of the halfway point of the story and things are starting to come together. Um, as far as the story goes, I think it's kind of interesting. You almost have to read it twice to kind of get a sense of where things are going. However, at least on this part, I feel like quite a bit happens in the span of this little 10-minute snippet of this hour-long story. The artwork, as usual, is wonderful by Lee Sullivan. I expect no less of Lee's artwork, and he uh, continues to deliver on every single page. The story by Alan Barnes, uh, definitely, to me, it has kind of a 10th Doctor feel, uh, even though this is the 14th Doctor. Uh, it was a, a fun read. I like how it continues on the story, and I guess that's pretty much all I have to say on it. It's kind of a nice, sweet, to-the-point review. Um, if you've been reading Liberation of the Daleks, you definitely want to continue on with this part, uh, especially since Doctor Magazine just as a whole has been hitting it on all cylinders right now. So make sure you check out Liberation of the Daleks Part 6. It's a banger of a, of a, of a part of a story, and this is where a lot of stuff goes down. Exterminate! Like I said in my introduction to this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel, Lars Pearson is the head of Mad Norwegian Publishing. Uh, it's a small press publisher who over the span of many, many years have come up with lots of books. Uh, my personal favorite is the A History book, which Lance Parkin originally published through Virgin Publishing, which is a look of at Doctor Who putting all the... Uh, things that the Doctor has done or uh, stories the Doctor Who has done in chronological order from the beginning of time to the end of time. Lance and Lars have uh, continued to update this this big tomb of, of stories as everything comes out from new episodes to uh, big finish audios to novels, spin-off books, um, all that sort of stuff and continue to put all these stories in chronological order. That, like I said, is my favorite book, but they also come out with lots of other books, which Lars, uh, as you will hear in this interview, Lars and I talk about the most recent book that has come out from Mad Norwegian Publishing. Lars and I have been friends for a long, long time, and I think you'll sense that uh, as you listen to this interview with my good friend Lars Pearson from Mad Norwegian Publishing. I escaped cold Minnesota to come down here. Yeah, it was 70 degrees. When we came down, it was 33 degrees. We went through rain on the way down here on Thursday. Right. 33 degrees in Minnesota. Got down here, 72. Yes. <laughs> you, you, you come down to the wild tropics that is Iowa. <laughs> well, Excellent. it's now freezing cold. Yeah. Uh, I have the pleasure of chatting with my good friend Lars Pearson today on Dr. Who Panel Panel. Lars, great to see you again. Oh, it's good to see you, Jeremy. And of course, uh, for those of you listening to this, you know, Jeremy and I are both Iowans. Uh, so we, we have deep roots in the uh, Iowan Doctor Who community and, you know, had many uh, days together uh, per, uh, begging for money shamelessly <laughs> yes, on Iowa, for Doctor Who on Iowa Public Television. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. We know each other for quite some time. And uh, Lars, for those people who are unaware, is the. Uh, publisher, head honcho of Man Norwegian uh, Publishing. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, you've been doing that for how long? Quite a long time. Yeah, over 20 years mm -hmm. at so, this point. So, yeah. yeah. So um, he's well known for uh, publishing A History, Lance Parkins' uh, kind of guide to any and all Doctor Who events that have, from the beginning of time to the end of time. Um, and is also publishing the About Time series of books mm -hmm. where it's looking at the history of Doctor Who from beginning to end 
kind of a critical eye. Um, yeah, about time serves to put um, all of Doctor Who in the social and political context in which it was made. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because, you know, to really appreciate, or to, <laughs> let me finish, to be more informed about Doctor Who, um, it helps to stop and think what was going on in the world in 1965 versus 1977 versus 1984 or whatever. And we have just put out uh, the second edition of About Time 4, which is covering the Tom Baker years, which is such a massive update and rewrite. We've had to split it into two volumes. <laughs> um, so the first volume is out now, and the second volume will be out in the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's what's new and current with uh, Man Norwegian. But back in the day, uh, you worked with Lawrence Miles and did uh, some novels based on the Faction Paradox. Yes. Again, for those of you who don't know, Faction Paradox was these um, characters and concepts that Lawrence Miles um, deployed in the Eighth Doctor Adventures, the novel range. And owing to the weird rights issues of the day, Lawrence, you know, ended up owning these characters and concepts. So... um, what you know, what happened was Lawrence put out the key book. There was Alien Bodies, mm-hmm. which went over really, really well. Um, and in the wake of like Alien Bodies and then interference and whatnot, I had gotten word that you know Lawrence was working on a book project for Faction Paradox, mm-hmm. and he was kind of he was just going to put it together and find a home for it. And I put up my hand and said, "Oh, we would love to do that." So we did Faction Paradox Book of the War, which was. Weirdly, starting off on a novel range, it was, it was a guidebook mm-hmm. to start off the novel range. It covered the first 50 years of this time war. Because, uh, yes, Lawrence got there ahead of the TV <laughs> show with regards to um, the time war. And, um, and it was great fun. And, um, well, before I launch ahead and talk about the comic, I mean, I have to say, I have always enjoyed working with Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Um, he... <sighs> You know, I, I enjoy, some people don't enjoy his candor. I actually do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I felt like I always know where I stood with him. Um, I'm not someone who particularly enjoys shadow talk or doublespeak or whatever. And you don't get that with him. And he's enormously imaginative, great concepts, great stories. And it was an absolute pleasure to do it. Um, so we did Book of the War. And we were doing some of the novels. And I think wanting to do a comic book was just a natural extension of that because I, I had worked in the comic book field with Wizard Magazine. Lawrence was a big comic book fan. Um, we were all that generation that, you know, grew up reading comics, um, going to comic book stores. Um, you know, he, he, he ultimately is a big comic book fan. So we just talked about can we leverage Faction Paradox into a comic book series Mm -hmm. and the result was a very short-lived two issues published through Image Um, and yeah I mean I know that there's something of an oddity in Doctor Who circles I can keep blathering Jeremy do you have any questions (laughs) well uh, first thing I was going to mention is that for those people who aren't familiar with with what Faction Paradox is um my kind of elevator pitch to people about Faction Paradoxes, whereas in Doctor Who lore, the Time Lords are do time travel via kind of the scientific means. Mm-hmm. The Faction Paradox were the Time Lords from Gallifrey who did time travel via magical means, like the voodoo 
Um, yes. Yes, yes, in some degree. I mean, comparisons have been made between the Catholic Church and, you know, a bunch of rogue Satanists. Mm -hmm. Just that... And, and the Time Lords were the Catholic Church, the very orthodox mm -hmm. organization. Um, faction, it, faction would be the group that, like, just breaks the rules because somebody needs to break the rules. Because it's just uh, any culture stagnates if, al if allowed to that, you know, you just do what you're told, do what you're told, do what you're told, mm -hmm. do what you're told. And the faction, yes, the faction started out in Gallifrey. Now, later on, they actually incorporate other races. Um, so, so faction, there, there's human members, there's all sorts of different members, mm -hmm. which in a way in of itself is also a bit profane to the Time Lords. I mean, the, the houses of Gallifrey, as they're established, they really only want Gallifreyans yeah. only. I mean, in, including the lesser bloods, as they're often called. You mm -hmm. know, they, they, they are very much against that. So faction's job is just to make things more interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but in a way, they're always, they are always the underdogs in that they don't have the might of Gallifrey behind them. They don't have the might of the capital. They don't have the might of an army of Tardises. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, faction just makes things more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, when you and, and Lawrence decided to try your hand at comic books, mm -hmm. this was back in 2010, if I remember right. Well, oh, was, much was, earlier. Was it earlier than that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It, was, it, was, it was around 20, it was 2022. 2023, sorry, 2020, sorry, oh, no, 2003. Oh, it's back to 2000, I'm sorry. So, yeah, we're on the 20th anniversary of these. Yes, yes, um, yes, 2003. So, so this, in, in kind of the scheme of things, Kickstarter wasn't really a thing. No. Um, it was back, you know, there wasn't really an easy way to publish your own comic books or come up with, a like, a, a Kickstarter campaign to say, hey, we want to do... Faction Paradox Comics, you know, here's our pitch idea, contribute money, and, and we'll self-publish them. Yeah, no, there was, there was no crowdsourcing. There was mm -hmm. no nothing. I mean, if, if you want to go ahead for the life and death cycle of the comic, it's that I had to pay for all of it. And I'm not a rich person. <laughs> um, but, um, no, yeah, Kickstarter was not an option. Patreon was not an option. Mm -hmm. None of that was an option. What basically happened was, you know, we were quite keen to do a comic, and Lawrence was quite keen to do a comic. And... Um, and, and we had a bunch of talented people on it. I mean, you know, not just Lawrence's stories and Lawrence's characters, but, you know, Jim Calafiore was the artist and Jim, um, he's a very talented artist by his own admission. Jim really, really likes big splashy superhero stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he'd be quite happy drawing the Hulk smashing through a wall and Spider-Man is swinging out of the way mm -hmm. as a big splash page and all that sort of stuff. But in here we're asking him, can you draw a quiet historical drama? Um, but some reviewers of the time said that Jim's, Jim Calafiore may never have been better paired with, than with, on a project than with this one. Mm -hmm. Because there's something about his line art, particularly the design of the a story being told in 1774 um, with the design and costuming involved. And, I mean, Jim is so good at those quiet moments. And mm -hmm. he is so good at just people standing around in weird costumes. Um, I, it's maybe not his favorite thing to do, but he's great at it. Um, Steve Johnson did the covers. Uh, Steve Johnson, one of the most talented 
cover artist I've ever worked with. Um, and I hope he he took a he had to take a long break from uh, doing covers. I would hope he's back in the game now. I don't mm. know, um, but he was so good. Um, you know, we had uh, Paul Mounts was our colorist. Paul um, later, I mean, he's actually. Got some renowned comic book industry as the color so like he colored the Ultimates. Mm-hmm. He colored well ah, which this is one of my few contributions to the whole Marvel process <laughs> is that I wound up introducing Brian Hitch. Brian Hitch needed a colorist, and Brian and I had been having discussions, and um, and he needed a colorist. I was like, well, there's this is Paul Mounts guy, and that led to Paul Mounts doing the Ultimates mm-hmm. and and some other renowned Marvel projects. So we had what I what I felt was a stunning array of talent. Mm-hmm. Um, Lawrence uh, and I, it seemed like Lawrence had really planned this comic quite far in advance. Mm-hmm. The events in this story were related to a book he put out called "The Adventures of Henrietta Street," and that's dealt with one of his master villains, um, Sabbath. And also in this comic is a girl named Isabel, who will later grow up to become this ritualist who features in The Adventures of Henrietta Street. Mm -hmm. So The Adventures of Henrietta Street made some mention of events in this comic as how they're playing out. Um, And Lawrence, I think at various points, did tell me he planned quite far ahead as to how that was going to be. Um, But we didn't get there. So, um, yes. Again, I can keep blathering. What, what <laughs> um, questions do you have? As, as far as finding your creative uh, team of Jim Calfiore mm-hmm. and Peter Palmiotti and yeah. Paul Mounts and stuff, um, back in the day you worked for Wizard Magazine. Yeah. Is that how you had the connections to these people to to work on Faction Paradox, the comic? Or did you you know find them on the internet um yeah no it was it was through wizard mm-hmm. or it was, it was through the time i spent at wizard i mean i knew jim through wizard mm-hmm. um i knew peter through wizard i knew well and his brother jimmy palmiotti mm-hmm. i knew him um uh and yeah that's that's big well and paul mounts came to us because i knew amanda connor mm-hmm. and i said Oh yeah, we're gonna need a colorist for this, and she's like, "Well, why don't you use my colorist, who is who is mm-hmm. Paul?" Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, okay, that'd be great." Um, and then my wife Krista, who is a designer, um, she did the she did the design, she did the lettering, so that that helped. <laughs> that helped. We did it. We did it. Uh, in, we did in it house. in house. We did it very much in house, <laughs> as it were. Um, and I mean, I think if you look through the pages here, I think. You know, issue issue one is perfect. It's uh, issue one is slightly rough. We're still figuring things out, but issue two, I mean, it, I, in some regards, is already by issue two we figured things out, and it's absolutely it's it's just going on all cylinders at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the story is firing, the color is firing, the art is wonderful, the layout is great. Lawrence had a very good sense of comic book timing. He I mean, he had professionally done comics before mm-hmm. but he was very very aware of the need of that you know in comic books there is timing to it um you need to flip a page and certain things need to happen um some comic book writers don't have a sense of timing mm-hmm. i mean you know it, it has always upset me when like a major you're looking at a two-page spread and like a major character will get murdered at in the bottom 
write half of the spread, mm -hmm. which means you've turned to this two-page spread. You can now see that a major character has died, but there's all this other stuff in the way. Yeah. I mean, ideally, you should flip the page and then the major character. Uh -huh. It should be more of a shock yeah. to yeah. you. Yeah, have that, that impact. Yes. But otherwise, it'd be like if you're watching a movie and it suddenly skipped ahead two minutes to the character's death, and now you have to go back and watch those two minutes. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have – but he had a very good sense of timing. So, um, yeah, no. I mean, quality-wise, it was an absolute pleasure to yeah. do. And uh, this, this comic was published through Image. Um, how did you go about pitching this to Image for them to, to pick it up? Because there's plenty of people over the years that have – gone to Image saying, here's this comic idea I have, I think you should publish it, and not everybody gets the green light. Yes, well, yeah, I mean, it helps understand where Image was at the time, and, you know, of course, this is the embarrassing question of why is this only two issues long? Well, um, well, Image um, accepted us and was quite keen to do it because I went in there with, you know, pros, mm -hmm. and they said, oh, you've got Jim Calafiore, you've got Peter Palmiotti, you've got Paul Mounts. It looks gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Therefore, sure, we will publish it. That'll right. be great. Um, I mean, yeah, they, I mean, they didn't really care about the Doctor Who connection. Mm -hmm. They were just, because that wasn't, but they were like, oh, you've got professionals working for you, and it mm -hmm. looks stunning. Um, where, where you want to, it, it helps understand where Image was at the time. So Image... Uh, how should I say this? Image has gone through various phases in their existence. Image started out, of course, being a vehicle for the seven-ish people who founded it. Mm -hmm. It was a vehicle for Tom McFarlane, Rob Liefeld, Eric Larson, all the rest, who were trying to get out from under Marvel's shadow and establish themselves. And so the early years of Image are just, you know, then they had huge success yeah. with Tom McFarlane doing Spawn, you know, Eric Larson's doing Savage Dragon, so on and so forth. Yep. Um, but then what had happened was by the time the Zeros roll around, some of the Image Boys are no longer there. Um, they've kicked Rob Liefeld out. Jim Lee has sold his company to DC. Mm -hmm. Wills Protasio vanished early on for family reasons. So they don't have as many players as they do. And also, it, it's hard for any company that big to rely on the output of just these select individuals. Yeah. They're like, well, we need to be bigger than that. Fine, sure. But, you know, if you're not there to service whatever McFarlane and Eric Larson and the rest are doing, why are you there? Mm -hmm. And so at the time, what they come up with is they basically become a branding house. And so, um, you know, basically you go to them with a whole bunch of professionals. They said yes. And then I had to pay them a fee to that they would distribute it and they and they they would you know you get the image logo on it you wind up in the image section of of previews magazine the catalog um and it's an image comic mm -hmm. um and look i i don't i don't wish to make excuses for why it died so quickly but this is the state of play at the time image didn't contribute one nickel mm -hmm. to it i had to pay for everything yeah. and then in addition to that i have to pay image to be carried in their section of previews. You could, of course, not try to do without image, mm -hmm. but then you have to weigh, well, the exposure you're getting in the image section versus saving that fee versus, I mean, who knows? Yeah. Um, so anyway, 
unfortunately, it it very quickly became obvious the math was not going to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, comics are a very expensive way of doing things. If you're doing a novel, you basically have the writer and you have the editor and you have paper. Mm-hmm. Um, here, you have writer, artist, inker, letterer, colorist, editor, and four-color production. Yeah. Um, so it was going to become – and I, again, I, there's, it should be noted though, Image was trying to become a republic of three of independent houses under the Image banner. But for all the reasons I just spelled out and because Image was not putting any skin in the game, um, the fatality rate among comic series in this era is very high. Mm-hmm. It's very, yeah. very high. It was noticed that you know, so many, many, many comics published with Image – didn't make it through. Yeah. I gather they've re- revisited that policy down the road. Yeah. I, ga- I gather that down the road there are comics that they are actually, you know, paying money to support. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, that begs the question, well, if the, if the economics were that way, why did you do it? Because we were insane comic book nerds mm-hmm. who were just absolutely desperate to do a comic book and mm-hmm. the best possible comic book we could do. Um, so, yeah. Um, Does all that make some sense? Or am yeah. I, am I, you know, okay. as somebody who was, you know, I worked in selling comics back in the day, and during this time, I remember a lot of image series coming out that by issue three, they just kind of fell to the wayside. Um, yeah. Um, there's a couple just <coughs> kind of pop into my head of ones I remember seeing the first issue come out, and if they weren't a hit mm-hmm. by issue three, even if it was, uh, you know, a five issue miniseries, they just stopped. And yeah. I think it's because yeah. the people that were were creating the book, it wasn't financially feasible for them to continue. Yeah. Um, uh, when you went to Image with this proposal, did you already have like the first issue done? Yeah. You just walked in and said, "Here, I got this comic. Yep. You know, would can will you distribute it for me?" Not only did we have it done, I mean, we delivered it months ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, yeah, we were like, okay, you know, we will not blow deadline. Because I am giving you the assets right now. Yeah, yeah. I, here's my completed issue. <laughs> Here it is. Mm-hmm. Here it is. Um, so that's kind of financially a, a big undertaking. Of yes, you, or or else you're working out a deal with you know your artist and inker and and the production people saying okay, do the work for me now, and after we get it published, and I get my you know start making money on this, then I can pay you. For the work you well, I paid them. Up. I, I, mm-hmm. I pay, no, I've actually paid them. Yeah, my my wife was flexible on payment um, <laughs> in terms of the lettering, but the lettering is by no means the biggest expense. Yeah. But you know, because for Jim to do this, Jim would have to give up work elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jim can't do it um, yeah, for uh, well, well, and nor should he. I, no, no, I mean, I mean, you, you know, if, if you know, people should not be really asked to do things. Mm-hmm. For free, and then maybe one day we'll get around to to pay. No, 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 no. I, you know, I, I had to pay Jim. I had yep. to. So, so yeah, I, and that's the way it should be. Um, I just, yeah. I mean, like I say, later on, I, I get the impression Image was like, we need to go ahead and financially support some of these things, or they're just not going to last. I and um, I, I think kind of back at this point in time when when Image was publishing the, publishing this for you. Was it kind of just a flat fee? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to you have to pay so much, and then they'll print however many thousand copies and and send whatever the orders are. Well, yeah, plus 
Well, well, yeah. it, well. Again, I had to pay for the printing, and I mm-hmm. had to arrange the printing. Okay. I mean, Im- image might. I I can't remember the exact discussion. The image may have said. Oh well, you know, here's some printers we prefer, or whatever. But so it was I, just it was just a one time flat fee. Yes, correct. Basically, yeah. Because now then I, I think as as time went on and image became more uh, more established as a place where creators could take their books to an image. Image started taking more of a stake in people's products. Yes. Instead of just saying, "All right, we'll we'll distribute this this for you under the image banner." Exactly. Now, and I like with uh, various different. Types, I'm 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 guessing Robert Kirkman's Walking Dead was this way, where they kind of said, "Okay, this is something we think we can. We want a, a stake in this as well. So you know, we will charge. We'll we'll just you know publish and distribute this for you." But in return, we get X percent. Yes, this is always the trade-off. Mm-hmm. Now, and Kirkman, who, by the way, later became a partner yeah. at Image, so that's going to change the equation. Yeah. No, this is true. So on the one hand, they weren't paying a nickel toward this. Therefore, um, you know, you're getting no support whatsoever. Yeah, they, they don't have any but, skin in the game, but, so they don't care if it succeeds or fails. Well, no, no, they don't. But on the well, it's see, eventually they decided they do. Eventually they decided, okay, we're getting these flat fees, and that's great. But if every comic is dying quite quickly, that doesn't help us either. Right. Having a catalog of something like The Walking Dead that's successful mm-hmm. that helps us. Now the flip side, of course, is that since they weren't putting any money in, they didn't have, and they didn't take any claim on ownership. Yeah. So Lawrence kept. One hundred percent of faction paradox, mm-hmm. and um, so they're, they're, as you say, they're not even even if we then gone out and made a movie or whatever, they they have they don't get any royalties yeah. whatsoever. Um, entertainingly, in this process, and I can say this because Lawrence actually posted about it online. Um, we did put out a couple issues, and along the way, I get a call from Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers. Uh, well, it's because they, they, they're watching what comics are coming out. Mm-hmm. And, they, and some rep agent type person from Warner Brothers who says, uh, well, this Faction Paradox comic looks kind of fun. We should talk about optioning it. And I was like, oh, yeah, please. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Which, uh-huh. which, again, is mostly down to, you know, because we and all this have never owned anything of faction. I mean, Lawrence owns faction yeah. paradox. So I was like, yes, great. Well, let's, but you know, I can help out in the process and let's talk about this. And I, so I sent them around to Lawrence and, uh, <laughs> Lawrence, Lawrence admitted that like after the fact, so the rep calls Lawrence and they're talking about the potential in faction paradox. And the agent asks him, well, if we did a movie of this, what 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 form do you think it should take? What 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 would be your ideal work? Mm-hmm. How do you ideally think it should turn out? And he said, "Well, I think ideally it should be Amadeus with monsters." <laughs> and shockingly, Warner Brothers did not fall all over themselves to uh-huh. option that. <laughs> um, it's it's. Yeah, it's a great shame. So that was a trade-off back in the day, is that Image didn't put any money in. They didn't have any claim on it whatsoever. But, you know, if you don't... You know, the, the trade-off of a bigger company like that, maybe you want to give them a piece of it because then they've got motivation mm-hmm. to sell it more heavily or promote it more heavily. Dark Horse seems to have cracked this nut with... There's an awful lot of 
um, Dark Horse properties that are showing up as Netflix shows. And, you yeah. know, Dark Horse is stepping up to act as the agent thereof. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. They're like the go-between. Yeah, you bet. And they get whatever percentage they get. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, but, hey, that means you get a television show on Netflix. Yeah. So, so it, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. Um, but at the time, you know, this is just how it worked at the time. And, uh, why, again, why did you do this? Well, we were just insane to have a successful comic. If I'd been in my deathbed without trying a comic book at some point, I would have regretted it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and, and like we started from the beginning, you know, this is long before Kickstarter or Patreon or anything like that. Right. Do you, do you think this would have worked better as in the era of Kickstarter where you yes. could you could have went to the people that were buying the Faction Paradox novels that were yep. coming out and saying, "Hey, we have this comic idea. Yep. You know, help contribute money. We want to raise fifty thousand dollars to put out a four issue miniseries." Absolutely, positively, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, or, or well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, there's only so much you can expect from them. Yeah. But there were enough people in love with Lawrence's work that it would have made a difference. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not saying it would have turned night into day. Yeah. But yes, absolutely, it would have made a difference. But we were just doing it on our own. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. And again, the and and also we had the good fortune. Of like this is this is before, uh, of course, the Doctor Who revival happened. Yeah. Um, one of the problems we had with the novel range was that when the Eccleston season came out. It sucked up a lot of the oxygen in fandom, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, like, Jackson season's amazing, and yeah. it was a huge success, and that's great. But if you're trying to sell Doctor Who's, you know, spinoffery, as it were, mm-hmm. um, even unofficial, then that's a problem. Because, you know, what I noticed when the Christmas Invasion came out is that there were an awful lot of people debating the merits of Rose's jacket. <laughs> You know, that's uh-huh. how that's how detailed they were getting. It's like, hey, here's a Faction Paradox book. Well, they'd rather talk about Rose's jacket, yeah. which is fine. Um, so, yeah, no, if we'd had those crowdsourcing tools, especially in that era before the Doctor Who revival, mm-hmm. yeah, I, th- I, th- I, think, I think there would there was potential there. I mean, yeah. that, that's, that's all I can really say is there was potential there. Yeah, yeah, you know, the Faction yeah. Paradox, the novels and the comics and stuff were kind of at the tail end of the wilderness years yeah. of Doctor Who. And, yeah. and, and it's maybe even if it would have taken place um, back in the mid to late 90s, it might have been gotten yeah. a little bit more traction just because back then Doctor Who fans were starved for anything mm-hmm. Doctor Who or Doctor Who related. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know the fact that we were, as you say, operating in the wilderness years helped us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse me, because people were more willing to uh, try these strange things because, you know, there was no Doctor Who show on the air and what else were they going to do? Yeah. No, that was a definite asset. Um, But yeah, just the economics of it. I mean, comic books are so shockingly expensive. You're Mm -hmm. you're slightly astonished on a unit basis that anybody ever does them. Yeah. Um, But, um, yeah. And also, yeah, and also the full color. Yeah. even that is more expensive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I don't know if any so, of you out there find these co- comics or read them. I mean, unfortunately, the story's a bit curtailed. Um, quite a bit, a bit curtailed. <laughs> quite curtailed. 
Um, but I'm really, really proud of the work we did. I'm really, really proud of the people we worked with. And, you know, the follow-up exists in the form of The Adventures of Henrietta Street, because if you mm-hmm. read what goes on there, um, uh, you know, th- that basically established where, where a lot of the characters land. But funnily enough, there's an awful lot of threads here that Lawrence didn't follow up on. So in here, um, two faction agents show up, and they are... Um, uh, they're, you know, they got the usual faction mask. We don't really know them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a, there was a, there was a, there was a officer, a faction paradox for a better, lack of a better term. They called them, you know, mothers and fathers. Uh-huh. And then there was a lieutenant. And, or, excuse me, a lieutenant. There was a secondary. And Lawrence, like, you know, didn't really know who that secondary was. But he thought, well, it's useful having in there a character whose identity has not been revealed Mm -hmm. because maybe down the road i'll want to say oh that lieutenant was so and so yeah um but we never got around to filling that out Uh we did start issue three we we started because jim drew like i don't know set five seven pages of issue three um before i had to pull the plug on it um the cover to issue three is in the back of issue two which was this crazy mammoth um because there's this mammoth that appears in the story. And I, I always thought it quite fun. It was This was Krista. There was this ad in the back of Faction 2 for Faction 3. And it's got a picture of the mammoth. And she put, coming soon to a mammoth, mammoth near you. <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, um, no, good stuff. Again, yeah. I can keep lathering. <laughs> did, we, did, we uh, get, did we get it? Well, what else? What else comes no, in? The, you know, uh, I think reading the two issues, I thought they were really interesting um, as somebody who had been reading some of the Faction Paradox novels, it was when I first heard of Faction Paradox reading Alien Bodies, it was something that definitely sparked not just my interest, but a lot of Doctor Who fans. You know, this yeah. is something that was totally new and different, uh, a unique take on Time Lord uh, society and mm-hmm. history and stuff. And mm-hmm. it was nice to be able to see that the Faction Paradox carried out through the books yeah. and, and see what direction Lawrence Miles wanted to take this. Because back in, then, he was one of the, the Doctor Who novel writers yeah. that everybody clamored for. It's like whenever a book of his came out, you knew you were in for something different than what you normally got out of a Doctor Who novel. Yes, So very true. Yeah, so seeing that, uh, con- you know, continued on in Faction Paradox, even the, the two issues of this comic were, th- were that way. It was a continuation of this. Um, and the the artwork is great. Coloring is amazing. Um, it, it's it's too bad that, it, that the time that it came out was a time where you didn't have a Kickstarter or uh, a, a a more yeah. plentiful way of of getting a comic series going as yeah. opposed to uh, what it was at that point in time. It's it was also it was also not necessarily in uh, and, and a. Um, an uptime for the comic book industry as a whole. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it's not, well, I say not too long. It's about about five years-ish after this. They get into such, collectively, they get in such a rut sales-wise that DC ultimately does the New 52 in 2011. Was it 2011? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 2011, like, you know, but that was, and and that gets things going again. I mean, the new 52, whether you like it or not, did galvanize sales 
And it did kind of lift the industry as a whole. It was the yeah. it was the defibrillator that the industry needed. Mm-hmm. But in the years prior to that, they I mean they they were they were in a rut they needed to get themselves out of. Mm-hmm. So yeah, unfortunately, this is not an era when um, when you know big sales are necessarily guaranteed. This is not the bubble of the early nineties yeah. where like you can put out Darkhawk and and sell. <laughs> almost. I do uh, apologize. I, I I sound like I feel like I'm making like a whole lot of excuses as to why this didn't work. And it's not meant to make excuses. It's just to say bills have to be paid and there's certain conditions that, that have to be met. So. Yep. That you know you you can't put out something for free. And if you're you know not making money on something yeah. that you're investing money in, there's no point in doing it. So no, I'm afraid um, not. Um, yeah, I mean, my Lawrence's heart and soul was in this. My heart and soul was in it. A lot of us had our heart and souls in it. Um, I think, as you say, uh, so Alien Bodies is the book that even people who later come to really not like Lawrence's work will love. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody, everybody agree. Every most people seem to agree. Alien Bodies is really, really good. Yeah. Uh, Interference. The follow up. The reaction was far more mixed, mm-hmm. far more. And um, yes, but Alien Bodies worked. And then I quite like the Faction Audios, a whole lot of Faction Audios, yeah. uh, which was first BBV and then was it Magic Bullets? That sounds right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, some of those were really good. I mean, that's the thing. It's like Faction works within the Doctor Who universe, but it's a flavor that you don't find very often. Yeah. and And it's... It's wide-ranging enough that, on the one hand, it doesn't have to be any exact group of characters or whatever. Like, unlike Doctor Who, where you pretty much have the Doctor all the time. Yeah. Um, you can have whatever characters you want. Unfortunately, that means it's a bit undefined, and you have to pick a direction and go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the faction novels, I just thought, we did, absolutely just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. I mean, Lance Parkins, Warlords of Utopia. Mm-hmm. Jesus God. I mean, that's... An incredible amount of that. That I think may be the best thing Lance has ever written, mm-hmm. and he's written some great Doctor Who books. He yeah. has a lot yeah, of great Doctor Who books on the shelf. Um, yeah, no, we did good stuff. That's yeah. how we paid for. Them. You know, so. I, I, for those of you who haven't experienced Faction Paradox and have been intrigued by this, uh, eBay search Faction Paradox. You can find <laughs> lots of stuff on there, whether it be audios or the comics or the novels. Um, well, we still have some of the novels in stock. Um, <laughs> that we did. Um, Obverse uh, took over the range some years yeah. ago. Um, they've done a lot of great stuff there. Um, Weapons Grade Snake Oil was one that they did that I just thought by Blair Bidmead, I think, which was, that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. That was absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah, so they do some good stuff. Um, yeah, these two comics can be had for, you know, a few bucks <laughs> yeah. here and there. Um, unfortunately, the the big kahuna of it all I beg your pardon. The, the book of the war, uh, which is the guidebook that started it all. Um, that's yeah, that's been out of print a long time, mm-hmm. and it really says something that we worked on the book of the war, like in two thousand one ish. We may have even started in two thousand. I can't quite recall. Mm-hmm. And at the time, we didn't lock down the ebook rights because that is so early in ebook infancy. Uh-huh. I mean, a, a lot of people didn't lock down the rights at the time. And Lawrence had done that as sort of a crowdsourcing thing among the authors. So we can't reprint Book of the War because we have to go back and get, like, 15 people to all agree. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it just, you know, yep. that's just kind of an untenable. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is fine. But this is not to regret it. So that one might cost you some money. Um, but the rest of it's quite affordable, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Do check out the yeah the audios are pretty good too. Do yeah. check out the audios if you can. Well, I think yeah. it's neat to to hear about uh, different kind of Doctor Who spinoff comics. There's been a few of them here and there, and just to to find out how um, you came up with the idea for doing the Faction Paradox comic and uh, the trials and tribulations of publishing a comic back in the day. Yeah, I mean, I mean, among the, for the non BBC stuff, this might be the most prominent only because it was Image. Yeah. Uh, I would agree on that. Um, which is not to slant, because the, the, the other ones, I mean, I mean it's not to denigrate their quality. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, there's been an Orsini comic. There's been, um, uh, wasn't there Paradise Towers? I haven't read it, but there's Paradise yeah, Towers. There's Paradise, there? The Cutaway yeah. Comics is Cutaway comics. a bunch of yep. uh, stuff now. Yep. Which, even to to speak to the, the difference from publishing Faction Paradox to Cutaway Comics, the stuff they do, that's all Kickstarter-based. Yeah, um, yeah, and they they have a, a I would I would say a bigger pool of people to pull resources from as yes, far as money yes, to yes, yeah. to get this stuff put out. So you know I think it it sh- gives you props for what you had to go through. You know, doing that that kind of funding on yeah. your own, yeah, yeah, um, as opposed to what Cutaway does. You know, mm-hmm. no no slight on Cutaway for the stuff they're putting out because they're putting out really good stuff. But oh, yes. you're, you're like the, the precursor to all of that. Yeah, and I mean, there's a world in which we could have done the Faction comic more affordably. Um, we could have not distributed through Image. We could have, you know, there's ways and means to make it cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I, I don't know, I, I don't want to speak for Lawrence. I, I don't know that we were particularly interested in, we were like, if we're going to do this, we want to go for it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we'd rather go for it and have it just not work out than like have to dial it back. Also, in my experience, and you find this with the with the bigger publishing houses too. You know, I had to kind of match. I had to meet Jim Kelly for his rate, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the others' rates. Um, there's some productions that like, well, you can cut back on the expenses um, to make it last longer. But now you're paying people so little, mm-hmm. you can't. It's very hard to employ anybody of high quality yeah. because you can't ask people high quality to work for peanuts all the time. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just not fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you wind up with, well, frankly, I think even some of the bigger publishing houses, uh, like, you know, well, I won't name names, but you look at some of the stuff being done, you know, it's not selling very much. It's like, Oh, well that's reflected in the caliber of the mm-hmm. artists that they've got yeah. because probably because they can't pay them very much. Yep. If you can't pay them very much, this is this is who you yeah. who you wind up with. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I uh, I don't speak for Lawrence, but I think I don't know. Two issues of gangbuster quality, in some ways, is more satisfying than than just cheapening it up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Lawrence might have be of the opinion that's like <laughs> to hell with that. I wanted to go 40, 50 issues. I mean, I I don't know. I don't uh-huh. know. Um, but yeah, even those covers by Steve Johnson. It was nice yeah. to give Steve because Steve hasn't didn't really work for mainstream. Publishers mm-hmm. and like that covered issue too. For those of you who haven't seen it, I the first time I saw that cover, I was like, Jesus Almighty! I mean, mm-hmm. that is just stunning. Yeah. Um, that's where we were. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, there's something about fair, factory products that inflames people's imaginations. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, Lars, thanks for taking time to to catch up on. Um, well, just 
you know, our friendship and uh, chatting with me for my podcast about Faction Paradox Comics. I appreciate it. No, thank you, and thank you for coming to the great blast of heat <laughs> that we call Iowa in, yeah. in, 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 on April 1st. Yeah, where it's hit 50 degrees, but of course yeah. yesterday it was 72, and then I went to a baseball game last night where it was 40. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it's also in the manic phase of the year. So anyway, right. thank, you thank, all, you, thank, thank you all for listening. As Lars mentioned at the beginning of our chat, Lars and I have known each other for quite some time since we uh, started taking pledges for Iowa Public Television way back many, many years ago. Uh, Lars came to Iowa. Uh, he had been living in New Orleans, and he came back home to Iowa and that is where I was introduced to Lars, and we got to, or he came to Iowa Public Television Studios to take pledges, and we've had a, a great friendship ever since. It's always great to sit down and chat with Lars. Uh, when I live back in Iowa, we always made a point of getting together every so often for a cup of coffee and a chat. Uh, Lars is a longtime comic book fan, just like I am. We both grew up on comics. We both have a love for comics. And it was always great to chat with Lars about Doctor Who and science fiction and uh, comics. And I think you can probably tell by the chatting between Lars and I that we uh, always have a good time together. And it was great to catch up with Lars once again. I always try to do that when I get back into Iowa. And this time you got to partake in uh, the, the chat that Lars and I had this time around. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the Faction Paradox if you are unfamiliar with them. If you go to DoctorWhoComics.com, which is my website, I'm going to post uh, a few pages from the first issue of the Doctor Who, or the Faction Paradox comic, and for you to kind of get a taste of what this comic was like. And uh, like Lars said, you can, if you go to a comic shop or if you go online, you can find the Faction Paradox comics, the two issues that came out, relatively cheap, fairly cheap, um, and they're, I think they're good additions to your Doctor Who comic library. Um, great artwork, good story. Lawrence Miles always delivers when it comes to a, a good story. And so uh, make sure you check them out. Go to DoctorWhoComics.com and take a look at the first few pages of Faction Paradox number one. Check them out for yourself and see if there's something you might be interested in. Thank you very much for downloading this episode of Panel to Panel. If you know of any other Doctor Who comic fans in your uh, inner circle, make sure you point this podcast out to them and have them check it out. I would appreciate it. I'd also appreciate if you go to iTunes and leave me a positive review. I haven't had a positive review for quite some time, and that always is a good feeling for me. Uh, it lets me know that I'm doing something good and also bumps me up in the viewership of all the Doctor Who podcasts that are out there in the Internet. So, with all that out of the way, this is Jeremy Bement saying thank you once again. And until next time, bye. Doctor Who Panel to Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you. Thank you.